You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone here in the house. You look great. Half of you looks great. You look great. And everyone watching at home or wherever you are, I am so happy you're here. Um, we listen to, I'm Boaster and Brady, and uh, when we listen to the prayer of Jesus to his disciples, he says, uh, when you pray, pray this. Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom what? Come. Your will be done where? Everyone knows the answer to the question. You all know the answer. It seems hard though. This idea of doing things on earth like they're being done in heaven. In fact, I'm going to be honest and say, I don't think I've ever felt that earth was so far from heaven as I do right now. With, with everything going on in our world and all the sickness and brokenness and fighting and ugliness and all the things, it just feels like I don't wake up in the morning going, whoa, this is paradise. I'm loving it here. But just this morning, we did something that was exactly what's happening in heaven. Exactly. In fact, my husband died in 2015, and something that I've kept in my mind is that the way to, to feel like I'm near, because people will always write you really interesting things when you lose someone you love, like, he's watching over you right now. He's with your kids as they're going to school or whatever. And I'm thinking, I, I hope not. Like, I, <laughs> I think in heaven there's probably better things to do than go with me to Safeway. So I, I think that something different is going on in heaven right now. And I don't know what your theology is about heavens. I know some people believe that you don't go right away when you die. There's a waiting place. I don't particularly believe that. I think to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. <laughs> And so I believe that Steve Stern this morning was worshiping the same God at the same time I was. And that's when I feel the closest to him is when I say we are right now doing the very same thing. We're in perfect unity. We're in perfect agreement. We're doing the very same thing here as they're doing there. And so we have been looking at community here for the last couple of weeks. And I was really interested. My, my topic this morning is we, we are a preview community uh, on earth. We are supposed to be living out community as it's being done in heaven. So no big deal. That's not a high bar or anything. How do we even know what's being done in heaven? It's, it's hard to know, but we can know some things because we've got a little window or maybe it's more of like a keyhole. We can look through the keyhole of John's revelation and see some things that are happening in heaven. And as we look at what the community looks like there, we can begin to look at our lives and hold it up to that light and say, are we doing it? Does it, does it look like that here? So that's what we're going to do this morning. And we're going to start with Revelation 7. And this is sort of a long passage, long enough that I need my glasses. You know how that goes. And so um, stick with me because it's important. This whole thing is really important. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. What are they amening here? 
Salvation belongs to our God. Everyone knows exactly why they're here and exactly who got them there. Salvation belongs to our God. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and where have they come? Isn't this funny? The angel in heaven asked John in earth, hey guy, who do you think they are? <laughs> I mean, I think this is a little humorous moment. And John is like, I am just the guy having the vision. He says to him, sir, you know, <laughs> I just love it. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in this temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, this sounds like the most beautiful community ever to me. And it sounds a long way off, but then I'm challenged by the fact that Jesus said, when you pray, pray this, on earth as it is in heaven. This is, the, and, and do I think we can accomplish this on earth? I don't, but I think we can do better than we're doing. I think we can get closer to the core values of heaven for community than we're getting. And that's not to say this church, that's to say the church. We just, we can do better. So there are three things that I found in this passage. There are like 50 things, but there are three things that I found that I think are really important about what heaven looks like and how community looks in heaven. The first one is that community in heaven is wildly inclusive. I sort of like this world, this word right now, wild. We sang this morning, your love is like the wildest ocean. Uh, it's, not to, it's not to paint God as, as uh, crazy. It's because we have overly domesticated him and his love. We have packaged it up in the boxes we know and the things we believe and our preconceived notions. And God consistently and always in my 55 years keeps busting out of the box and keeps including people I wouldn't. And keeps opening up his doors and his heart to those that I probably wouldn't open up my doors and heart to. The scripture says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude. How big? So big that no one can number it. There are smart people in heaven. There are people good at math in heaven. But no one can number the multitude. My theory, I'm not going to preach it because it's theology that I'm, I can't back up right now. But my theory is that you can't count the number because people are going to keep showing up. Revelation 21 says, the gates of heaven never shut. Never. For eternity. It's never shut. I think we're going to keep seeing people showing up and being like, oh, that person just decided this is the God for them. And so this number of people is storming into heaven. Revelation 19 says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of, great, of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Heaven is noisy and rambunctious and celebratory because all of these people are adding their voice to the mix. There's so many people. And so... Uh, who is worthy of heaven? How many people? We can count that number. Zero people. Zero people worthy of heaven. Zero people deserve to be there. So in this place where no one deserves to be, there are so many people. A great multitude. 
that sounds like thunder, that sounds like a wild ocean. That many people. Heaven is wildly inclusive. One of my least favorite things about COVID has been having to be counted into stores. Like it drives me crazy. I think it's my divine right as an American to walk into Target freely. And so when I have to stand in a line, I'm just like, this is terrible. This pandemic is terrible. And so I love that there are no counters in heaven. There's no one like, no, sorry, too many. We're shutting the doors now. Nope. We just keep welcoming in the masses. And so then the second thing about community in heaven is that it's diverse. I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Heavenly community does not include many tribes and languages. Heavenly community includes how many? All tribes and nations and languages. When John saw this this picture, he was living in one of the most divided. We think we're in the most divided times ever, but it was more divided racially in John's day than it was in ours. And so this must have been a huge surprise to him. And it's a big surprise to me that in heaven, we still are the race we are. We still are the person we were. I think there's going to be many skin tones and many languages. I, I actually picture heaven always. I've pictured it being done in English because it's the only language I speak. But English wasn't even created until the 5th century. America is new. We're baby humans. And yet we, we assume all of heaven is gathered and oriented around our language and our nation and our tribe and our skin tone. And it isn't. That's not Bible. The window we see into heaven shows this picture where it's going to be really hard to be a racist in heaven. Because there's just, I mean, it's, it's just going to be filled with all and every. And we're not that good on earth at all and every. But God is great at all and every. You know why? Because he created all and every. If we believe, like Jeremiah 1.5, we believe that you knew me before you formed me in my mother's womb, that there are no accidental people in the whole world, then we know that those people were formed in the heart of God before they were formed anywhere else. And so every nation, every tribe, every accent, every eccentricity, everything was birthed from the heart of God because he is so creative. And so we see this picture playing out in front of us in heaven, and it is beautiful. So I asked our speaking team a question. Excuse me. Do you think there will be disagreements in heaven? Yikes. And I think the answers that I get vary based on what people feel about disagreements. Like, if you feel like disagreements are primarily bad, then you're likely to say there won't be any disagreements in heaven. But if you see disagreements as a way to maintain distinction, to even beautify distinction, then you're going to say, yeah, I think probably we could disagree a little in heaven and be okay still. I mean, I, <clears throat> I feel like we're going to agree on the main thing, but I do feel like we're going to still be who we are. I think there's just going to be all kinds and types of people there's going to be creatives and intellects and, and people who, who write and people who, who love coffee. And, you know, Pastor Steve is probably going to still love Star Wars in heaven, and I probably still will have never seen it. 
but that's okay. We'll probably still disagree over the role Star Wars should play in our discipleship. I don't know. <laughs> but it's okay because our distinctions make us beautiful if they don't make us divided. And in heaven, we're going to discover that distinction doesn't have to make us divided. It can make everything more beautiful. Um, we, we have the opportunity, I think, in heaven to live in more agreement than we've ever known before. And I think we have that opportunity right now. By keeping the main thing the main thing, by understanding disagreements don't need to kill us, uh, in a, our, our speaking team meeting, Pastor Gohn said, I think heaven is going to be humbling. It's going to be humbling to see all the people who made it into heaven that I disagreed with on earth. It's true. And I'm sure that there are going to be plenty of people who are surprised to see me. So this is where we're at. We're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time together. It's probably good to get used to it now. Community in heaven is connected by commonalities. There are lots of differences, different races, different tribes, different tongue, but there are common things where we all stand on the same ground, where we all share the same belief. They, we see it in this scripture, in this place with every race, every tribe, every language. We see everyone standing before the throne and before the Lamb. We'll share the same space in heaven. We all occupy the same ground. We're side by side. We're arm in arm. We're breathing the same air and serving the very same purpose in heaven together. Um, we used to, and I, I went to a church years and years ago that had all the elders and the pastors sit in throne-like chairs on this platform. And they don't do it anymore. Um, but I was thinking about that. And it really dates back to, in 313, Constantine made Christianity the state religion. Before that, like only brief years before that, Christians were running for their lives. Christians were persecuted and oppressed. They were not cool. They weren't celebrities. They weren't who you want to be. And things changed very quickly under Constantine. After the Edict of Milan, they started to see pastors be popular, and then they became bishops. There were five main bishops everybody followed, and one main bishop who became the pope that was considered infallible. And they began to take their place on the stage in what used to be meet in houses, meet underground, gather together and share the word and share communion. Now they begin to use palaces and basilicas that they became the churches. And they looked a lot like courtrooms where they lined up all the chairs and they faced an elevated stage. And on the elevated stage sat the leaders closer to Jesus than everybody else. And it's just, I, and you know, it, it is what it is. But we've carried that idea. It wasn't ever birthed in the heart of the New Testament church. We've carried that idea year after year after year, decade after decade, century after century. And we still, even though the chairs are gone, maintain some kind of mindset that some people are in closer proximity to Jesus than others. And no one's closer to the love of God than anyone else. Some people are, are, are pressed into it, are more aware of it are more in love back, but Jesus is just as close and in love with everyone. David said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Did I, go, I could go down to hell itself and you would follow me there. Jesus is equally close to everyone. So we're all in the same proximity to Jesus. We're all clothed in white robes. Uh, white robes are a product of our rescue and our redemption. It says we've gotten these robes because we've been washed in the blood of the lamb, which is one of the mysteries of heaven, how you can wash your robes in blood and they come out white. But that's heaven. 
And so we all share this story of rescue and redemption. We all share stories of pain and sorrow, but we all know we didn't rescue ourselves. We are the product of something beautiful, and it's all Jesus. And then we're all standing with the same thing in our hand. And this is interesting to me. We've all, another part in Revelation said, we've all laid down our crowns, and we all now have one thing, and it's a palm branch. We're all holding a palm branch. That doesn't seem like that great a trade, really. <laughs> but the palm branch goes back to the Feast of Tabernacles. In the Feast of Tabernacles, they would wave palm branch branches as they celebrated God's care of them, as they celebrated the way God had shepherded them and loved them and provided for them and made them a people. Uh, Ellicott, one of my favorite commentators, I think it's like from the 16th century or something super old, says this, the Feast of Tabernacles commemorated God's care over them in the wilderness and their gratitude for the harvest. How many of you know when we get to heaven, it's going to feel like we just trudge for way more than 40 years through a wilderness? I mean, I don't know if you're loving life on this earth. I think it was St. Teresa of Avila who said, when we get to heaven, our best day on earth is going to look like a long night in a cheap hotel. And I, I believe this, that we get to heaven and we're going to be amazed at the, the way life felt like tribulation and the redemption of God in all of it. So it goes on to say, the people forsook their houses. The streets were full of glad multitudes who carried palm branches. And everywhere the sounds of rejoicing and singing were heard. This is a party. There was very great gladness. The vision here in Revelation shows us a far greater feast. The troubles of the wilderness are... are ended and the harvest home of the church is come and God tabernacles among us. Now we don't see through a glass darkly. Now we see him face to face. Can you imagine the sound of the party in heaven? When we see and we celebrate our rescue and the only thing we get to hold on to in heaven is not the crowns of our achievement. It's the symbol of his victory in our life. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now all of these different languages come together in one voice with one song and one message. One voice saying salvation belongs to our God alone. Salvation doesn't belong. And I think some of us will have to catch up to that in heaven. Oh, salvation didn't belong to government. Oh, salvation didn't belong to a preacher. Salvation didn't belong to a church. It didn't belong to a missions organization and didn't belong to evangelists. Salvation belonged to our God and still does for eternity. Salvation belongs to our God and that's the message we agree on. And anytime we stand on our feet on the ground of earth and we proclaim that message alone, we're doing what they're doing in heaven. Salvation belongs to our God. And he can be trusted with it. He can be trusted to dispense it the way he wants to. He I don't have to work as his store counter. I don't have to make sure I keep the people out. He's, salvation belongs to him and not to Bo. And everyone said, amen. Um, he, more than anything else, I think we have in common, the greatest thing we have in common in heaven is that we have the same object of worship. And in spite of everything going on in the halls of heaven and all the noise and the thunder and the wild ocean sounds, everyone can't take their eyes off Jesus. It's beautiful. The end of the verse says, And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Now that's interesting because it's not that 
we won't ever hunger or thirst again. It's not that we won't eat or drink again. It's that everything will be filled in heaven because this is describing a feast, not a fast. This is describing a feast. Um, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Community in heaven shares the same satisfaction. Everyone has plenty to eat and drink. Everyone is sheltered from the elements. Everyone is royalty. Everyone is a kid of the king. No one is a friend of the kid of the king. Everyone is, their needs are met. Their loneliness is filled. Our hearts are whole. Our minds are healed. Our souls are flourishing. All of these things are going on in heaven. In fact, take just a second. Close your eyes if you need to. And think about the person who annoys you the very most right now. The, the person that is just the most. And now imagine what would happen if they were their most healed self. What would that look like in your life? And now ask yourself this question. What would it look like if I were my most healed self? How would the community around me change? How would my voice change? How would my arguments change? How would my words change? How would my giving change? You can open your eyes. That's heaven. All of us living in our most, again, it doesn't erase distinction, but it makes us our most healed, whole, flourishing selves. That's beautiful community. So why are we all that way? Because of the next verse. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne and he will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. A couple of things I love about this. First, he is our shepherd in heaven and he guides us. That tells me that in heaven we're going to still need direction. We're going to still need a shepherd. There's still going to be movement. There's still going to be decisions to make and stuff to do. And I love that. I love work on earth. I can't imagine no work in heaven. I think there's going to be a lot to do and a lot to build and a lot to create and a lot to manage. The Bible talks about people who manage cities and tens of cities. There's all kinds of things going on in heaven and God will guide us in it. He will direct us in it and we will see him face to face. He guides us now. He's our shepherd now. But we see him the way I see the words on my page. I have I don't have very good eyes, and so when I look at my page without glasses, it's like shapes, but I have to really focus to see what it says, and I think that's how it is with God right now and his guidance. We have to really focus because we're surrounded by all of the muck in our fallen world, and in heaven, we'll see him face to face, and it will be beautiful, and that leader, that nail-scarred hand will wipe away every tear from our eyes, which is interesting because I thought heaven would be a place without tears. It looks like later on in the scene it is, but it does look like we show up carrying the sorrow that we carry here. It does look like that. And it's not that we're without sorrow. It's that our sorrow stories are beautiful and that Jesus steps into them in that moment and then wipes every tear from our eye finally. And he resolves. And you start to see, and I, you know, we can talk about great tribulation. I, I had, my, my grandmother used to always talk about the great tribulation and it's coming and the mark of the beast and blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking around on earth going, I think every person lives through a certain tribulation of their own. And I watched my husband live a real tribulation in his life. And I love to imagine him showing up in heaven. And, and you know, that worthy is the lamb. 
is really, in my mind, it's like worth it. The lamb is worth it. You were worth everything we experienced on earth. You were worth all the sorrow. You were worth all the heartache. Worth it is the lamb. And then he wipes away every tear. And so it's different voices, different stories, but each one representing the sorrow of life in a fallen, foggy world. And I know this feels impossible, this idea of everyone moving together with one voice and one song and one message and different distinctions, but all of this. But listen to this verse from Acts about the early church. Now the large group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one said, and no one said that any of his possessions was his own. But instead, they held everything in common, and the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed for each person's basic needs. This isn't socialism, because it isn't compulsory, and it isn't regulated by the state. This is something that comes from our hearts to help one another. This is how heaven looks, that we just share all our stuff. We don't have to hoard. We don't have to protect. We don't have to plan for retirement. We just have all the resources belong to everyone. And this looks like exactly what is happening on earth. It looks like they got pretty close to it on earth. There's a large group that's including all kinds of people. There's a, a group that's moving out beyond the bonds of Judaism. And all of a sudden they're welcoming people they wouldn't have even spoken to before. Can you imagine every week those people are showing up and whatever their small groups look like and they're like, you're here? Ugh. Okay, here we go. Unity. It's powerful. Our community should be inclusive. It's a, it doesn't have to be a large group. It has to be a group with large hearts. We don't, we don't have to manufacture some sort of inclusion. We have to just have a heart that does include people. Our community should be diverse. Our distinctions add voices to a song that would be flat without them. Our distinctions help us present the full picture of God's love and grace to a diversified world, to every nation and all languages. Will that lead to disagreements? Certainly. Yes. And how do we handle it? Um, I think we, we say we're all trying to get this right, and we keep focused on the main thing, the main one, the Lord of it all. We keep focused on the object of our affection. There's a theologian that I follow. His name is Brad Jerzak, and I love his work. And he's done some groundbreaking things in theology that have caused people um, to, to really, truly persecute him. And he talked about it in a blog post. And he, he talked about how it's been very, very difficult for him to, to live with so much animosity toward him and his ministry. But he said this. I am learning to bless them and pray for them by name. When I am troubled by their shenanigans, I pray for them daily. But more than that, I need them. They are the beloved enemies of my ego who assist me in working out my salvation by crucifying the stuff in me that my friends don't have the nerve to assault. They sharpen me where I'm sloppy and nuance things where I'm crass and sculpt them and sculpt my character where it's, all, where it's still so immature. I don't like them, but I need them and bless them and pray for them as I wish and hope they pray for me. Seeing as we'll spend eternity together anyway, Lord have mercy. <laughs> the disagreements are the friend of our ego. They help us think. They help us make, brings me back to the drawing board and say, Bo, don't think you're right until you are listening to the one voice. 
Number three, our community should be connected by shared commonalities. Worship team, you can come back. We share the same space side by side, arm in arm, breathing the same air and sharing the same eternal purpose. Quite simply, this, gotta mean, this means we got to be willing to put the time in. We have to be willing to get next to each other. We have to be willing to, to, to do the nitty-gritty of it. We, we, I, 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 for about a month or two, I really enjoyed sleeping in and watching online, but then I realized, no, I'm missing the, the stuff of community, and the real stuff of community cannot happen in an hour on Sunday. It happens as we let each other into our lives and into our decisions and into our sorrow and into our celebrations. That's when it happens. And so we're going to share the same space in heaven. I think we need to find a way to share the same space on earth. We share the same proximity to Jesus. We don't elevate anyone over anyone else. We're all close to Jesus. We're all close to his love. Again, some of us are more aware of his love than others but we're all exactly as close to him. He's ex exactly as aware of us, of all of us. We share the ground of sorrow, rescue, and redemption. This is why stories and community are so powerful. Because when you share your story of what Jesus has done for you and where he's, how he's rescued you and how he's shown up in your life, it completes my faith. It, it gives me an angle on his character that I can't possibly see without you. It helps me see something of him that I would be missing without you. We weren't meant to see the whole of our great big God without one another. And that's what stories and shared sorrow do. The most important people to me are the people who came to my house on the day that my husband died and redecorated my bedroom for me because they knew I couldn't sleep in a room with a hospital bed without Steve there. They stepped into the most sorrowful ground of my life and they made it beautiful. And that is what we do for each other when we're living heaven on earth. We make sorrow something that we can build on. In community, we should share the same song. After a year of no church, I don't think I'll ever take worshiping together for granted again. Hearing your voice sing, I will build my life upon your love, strengthens my faith. I know what some of you are living through right now. And when I hear you take your stand and claim your ground and sing that to the one who is worthy, I say, yep, that's our God. I'm going to follow him too. We share the same song. Also, I just think our community should be happy sometimes. <laughs> we, should, we should be places of celebration. We should be places of, of, of all the good things that God has given. There's a, a rabbi who said, we will give an account in heaven for every piece of beauty we saw on earth and failed to enjoy. We need, to, we need to be good at enjoying beauty together. I don't think the church has a reputation for happiness, and that's tragic. We share the same provider, shepherd, and guide. We are not left to our own devices. We have a shepherd. We have a God. We don't have to have all the answers for each other inside of community. And I think that's something that exhausts people when they think somebody's going to come here, and they're going to have a need, and I don't know how to meet it. That's not what community looks like in heaven. Jesus is our provider and he is our shepherd. 
and we bring each other to his presence. In our communities, we love each other, we serve each other, but we only worship Jesus. All eyes on Jesus. Jesus first, Jesus last, Jesus always, Jesus only. Lots of things go on in a church. Decisions are made, people are served, the city is helped, but Jesus lives at the center of it all. Our eyes are on him. When things were particularly crazy in our country in the fall and Christians were outraged on Twitter and I was watching it and felt grieved by it and I saw a lot of name calling. I even saw people pronouncing, pronouncing damnation over brothers and sisters saying, that person won't get in. Oh, please be so careful. And I, all of this noise was happening among warring brothers and sisters. And one leader that I follow, I felt had the best tweet of all time. And she summed it up by saying, everyone shut up except Jesus. <laughs> I think it's just perfect. Everyone shut up except Jesus. We just, we didn't leave. We need to listen to him. We need to let his voice, voice be the voice. We need to let his plan be the plan. And we don't move until we hear it or we see it. And we don't go until we know this is where we're going. 